Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Beautiful. Um, good. So uh, it's the end of the summer. We've come to the end, and it went, it went pretty quick, right? It went like, pew, it's gone. And you know it's the end of the summer because the Christmas cards are already in Tesco, which is very distressing and disturbing. But uh, I, decided this year, <coughs> I decided this year that I was going to not spend so much time on the road uh, and at conferences and festivals throughout the summer months. Normally, uh, July and August are, are kind of two of my busiest months of the year. I spend a lot of time traveling and ministering, and I just felt very much this year that I needed to not do that, and I needed to take some time off and get some me time and, uh, and get some rest time, visit with different people, visit with the family, and, uh, and stuff like that. So I, I said no to a few things, and um, uh, who am I kidding? I didn't get invited to a lot of stuff. That's basically what happened. Uh, and uh, uh, so that's, that's how that works. And um, so after I chased a lot of people up to see if they wanted to have me and they didn't, I took some time off and, um, uh, and it was good for me. It was good. No, I, I, uh, I, decided not to, uh, I decided not to do as much stuff this year and I thought I'm going to take some time off. And, and so I did one thing right at the start, the end of uh, July, which was, which was great. And then I basically found myself with, with a whole bunch of weeks to decide what I was going to do. The other thing that didn't help me out was this new rule that you can't roll holiday over into September. That was also a bit of a bind. So I was like, oh, okay, I've got to actually take it. So I, I, um, I, I decided to take some holidays. And the first little trip that I went on was with Mr. Daniel Eduardo and Mr. Samuel Hawthorne. And we decided that we would go away together on a bit of a, a, a boys' adventure. Lads, lads, lads. You know, Tim, Mr. Ibiza over here. Yeah. Living the dream, Tim. Come on. Ministry. Yeah, we get it. We get it. Um, so, um, so, but, so we went on a ministry scouting trip to Lanzarote. And, uh, and it's great, Tim. I see, I see why you're into it. So we're, we're, we're going um, to go and set up some ministry there as well. But we went on holiday uh, to, to Lanzarote for a few days uh, on the advice of Carl Beach. Who told us that, good, good laugh, Dan. Uh, who told us that he goes there every year and he does all sorts of stuff and he had loads of recommendations and things for us to do. So we were like, okay, fine. Uh, if, the, if the boss tells us to go to Lanzarote, we'll go to Lanzarote. So we, we went to Lanzarote and, uh, and we got there. Now, the, the, as close as me, Dan, and Sam are, and if you don't know, we call ourselves the triplets because we are, you know, we are one uh, in, in a weird way. And so we. <laughs> So the triplets went on tour together, and, and we, get to, uh, we get to Lanzarote, but as close as we are, there is a slight difference between us in that uh, Sam is fully, fully Mr. Adventure, right? He's like, Mr., I'm going to go on an adventure, I'm going to risk my life, I'm going to do some crazy stuff, I'm going to travel around the world and, and, you know, just be crazy. Dan is similarly kind of Mr. Adventure, but Dan's kind of like half and half. Dan's like Mr. Adventure, but also kind of like Mr., I'm going to sit and drink tea. And, right, so he's like, he's like, a, bit of, he's like a bit of both. Whereas I, me, I'm like, I'm like fully the city boy. I like to spend time in the city, I like to hang out in the city, and, and my idea of adventure is checking out the new art exhibition. Like, I'm, I'm and that's what I'm kind of into, right? The city boy. So we get to Lanzarote, and one day uh, Sam turns around and he says, Hey, I think we should go on an adventure. And I'm like, Yeah, that sounds awesome. Which coffee shop are we going to? Which, which museum have you picked out for us, Sam? That sounds great. And he's like, No, 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 no. I think we should go on an actual adventure. Like, okay. He's like, I think we should climb a volcano. Right? And I'm like, No. <laughs> Why would we climb up a volcano? That's insanity. He's like, no, it'll be fun. And I'm like, no, it'll be death. You don't climb up volcanoes. Those things explode. And he's like, no, 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 let's go. And Dan's like, yeah, yeah, let's go up the volcano. It'll be really fun. So I'm like, you know what, Ben? Stretch yourself. Stretch yourself. You can do this. The boys want to go up the volcano. You can go up the volcano, right? So 
we start, we start trekking out to the volcano and we, we get there to, to where it starts and we start walking and we're walking and we're walking and we're walking and, and, I, and like, I get a little bit into it and I suddenly think, this could take a long time. Like, this isn't like, this isn't like just like a 20 minute, like nice gentle walk down the high street. This is a proper trek. I should have thought about what I was wearing. I should have thought about the, the trainers that I've got on, all these things. I'm not prepared for this at all. Anyway, so we start walking. It's not that hard, it's just long, right? But then when we kind of get near to the, to the top, you have to do a little bit more like, uh, you know, walking up the side of a, a volcano type thing. But it's not like climbing or anything like that. It's fairly straightforward. We get to the top, right? And, it, and it's beautiful. And I get to the top and I'm like, yes, boys, this was a, this was a great idea. We, got to the, we beat the volcano. We beat the volcano, <laughs> right? We dominated it. I was really excited because I don't do the nature thing. So, you know, going to the beach is like a mission for me. So I was like, yeah, we beat the volcano. This is incredible. So we're at the top and we're looking out and, and Sam's like running around like, we're at the top of the volcano. And Dan takes himself off to have a quiet time, I think, because he's very spiritual. And he, uh, he's there. <laughs> He's just, on the, he's just like sat on the top, um, just on his own, thinking, uh, probably thinking about getting married or, or something like that. And, 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 and Sam's there, like, Sam decides to like climb into the volcano because he's Mr. Adventure. And so he goes down in, and I'm just sat there and I'm looking around and I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is cool. I'm not going to get too close to the edge, but this is cool. This is good. I'm glad we did this. So eventually we're like, right, we've been up here for a while. It's time to go back down again. And Sam comes over. <laughs> that, that tells you everything you need to know. The hearty laugh of Dan Eduardo. Sam, Sam comes over and he says, Boys. <laughs> Just like that. Boys. I think I know a shortcut. And at this point, I'm like, I don't like the use of the words I think before talking about a shortcut at the top of a volcano. Because I know a shortcut, which is just to jump off. That's, that would be a quicker way to get down. It's not a good idea. And Sam's like, no, 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 I, I think I know a shortcut. I think if we, if we go th- down this way, if we go kind of a little bit off-piste, we'll, we, we can get down quicker, and then we can kind of get to the beach a bit quicker. And, and I'm like, oh, not sure how I feel about this, Sam. And he's like, no, no, come on, it'll be fine. Like, if you want to go the, the long way around, and he did that, like, manipulation thing as well, right? <laughs> Which is really sneaky, because instead of going, look, if you don't want to do it, that's okay. He went, yeah, no, if you don't want to do it, if you want to go the long way around... Dan and I won't mind, you know, and I'm like, oh, you, you're basically telling me I've got to do this, right? So, okay, fine. So, uh, we, we begin to go down the, the side of this uh, volcano, and we get, like, about halfway down. And, and have you ever had that experience in your life where you get a little bit into doing something that you didn't feel great about the potential of in the first place, and you get a little bit into doing it, and you think to yourself, yeah, this is the last day that I'll be alive? <laughs> Because we're at the side of this volcano and I'm, I'm coming down it and, and at one point we're about halfway down and, it, and it's just rocks basically, it's not a path or anything like that, we're literally just like clambering down the side of the thing and I'm like scooching down like this trying to get down and just coming down and at one point one of my feet kind of just slips from under me like that and as that happens a bunch of rocks just slip, slip down as well. And, and, and I kind of look, lean forward a little bit, look and then a, a thought suddenly dawned on me and I was like, huh. My foot just slipped. If the other one has slipped as well, my feet are attached to my body, so my whole body would have gone, because there's nothing to hold on to, and I would now be dead. This is not good. Why am I here? Why am I doing this stupid, stupid thing? And I suddenly freaked out, and I started to panic, and I started to worry. Meantime, Samuel Hawthorne, is like almost at the bottom by this point because he's half man, half mountain goat, and he, he, 
He looks around, sees that I'm struggling a little bit, and he's like, oh, Ben's struggling. <laughs> Trots back up to the top, uh, just to mock me more than anything else, I think, right? Gets, gets up towards me, and he's like, hello, mate. Are you, are you all right? What, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm going to die, Sam. That's what's going on. He's like, no, you'll be all right. Just put one foot in front of you. Come on, we'll help you down. We'll help you down. Once he sees that I start to get a bit more of a sure footing, he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to be fine. And he's off again. He's off. Mountain goat down the side. Places to be. People to see. Another volcano to climb. So I start coming down, and, uh, and, and I find some rocks to hold onto at the side, and I'm gripping the rocks. I grip the rocks so tightly as I'm coming down that I cut into my hands. That's how tightly I was gripping onto the, the rocks because I was terrified. I was half terrified of dying and I was half terrified of just the thought of my mum finding out what I'd done because I just thought my mum would be so disappointed in me if she knew that I put myself in unnecessary danger. You know, when you have that thought, you just say, she'd be so disappointed in me right now. So I'm climbing down and, I, and, I, and eventually I get to the bottom and I'm dripping with sweat and I'm exhausted and my, my thighs are on fire because I've been like crouching so much all the way down. And I get to the bottom and Dan looks at me and he goes, bro. I had a thought while you were coming down. I suddenly thought, oh, what if Ben slips and dies? <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, that's funny. That, that's the thought I've been having the whole way down, Dan. Thanks for risking my life today. If you want, but and Sam, Sam was fine because he just ran. If you're wondering how Dan got off the volcano, he just stepped off it. Um, he, he was absolutely fine. Um, Honestly, it, it, was, it was terrifying. It took, me, it took me a little while to recover. But I'm glad I had the experience because it gave me a, a good preaching illustration, um, which, is, which is always fun. Um, so, truth of the matter is, though, and, and get ready for, for a nice Christian preaching segue here. Truth of the matter is, um, it, it did, as I've been thinking about the, the state of the world a little bit and the state of my life and the state of my journey over the past uh, six weeks or so through the summer months, it's actually quite a helpful thing for me to reflect on, this little experience that I had on the mountainside, because it very starkly painted a picture for me of, uh, of a couple ways that I think people actually find themselves living in, in this life. And the first way is the way that I was trying to come down the volcano, which is people living in absolute total fear that one slip will be the end of them. Now, in that particular situation, it was like a physical slip that would cause me to tumble to my death. But, but the slips that people struggle with, I think, in, in this life can take on so many different forms. It could be amongst young people that the idea of slipping with their social group, not, not fitting in, not having the right kind of clothing to wear, not having the right kind of skill set or, or not looking the way that they want to look, you know, whatever it could be. And they think, oh, if I, if I don't have that right look, if I don't have that right personality, if I get rejected by my peer group, if I don't get the exam grades that I'm supposed to, ah, slip, all the way to the bottom. They live in constant fear that that next one slip will be the death of them. Any other generation can experience the same things. Oh, if I, if I don't get that promotion, if I, if I don't meet Mr. Wright or, 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 or Mrs. Wright, if I, or Miss Wright would probably be safer, not Mrs. Wright, that would be terrible. Um, if, if, I, if, I, uh, if I don't um, achieve the dreams and the hopes and the ambitions, if I don't get to have a family, if I, whatever it is, people live in fear that that one slip, that one thing that doesn't uh, give them security and stability on the journey uh, of life will cause them to plummet. That will be it. That will be the thing that undoes it all and they will slip and they will die. And because they live in fear of those things, they live their life clinging to the side, so tightly clinging that they harm themselves. They cut into their skin because they're so terrified that that one slip will cause them to, to fall to their, to their doom and destruction. 
And then on the other side, you have those people that live a little bit too recklessly on the way down the mountainside. They're running, ah, it doesn't really matter, it's fine, I'll just go down, ah, you know, what will be, will be, it's all okay, everything's fine. And, and they live recklessly and it's the exact opposite problem. There's such a, a lack of fear, although that kind of living can be driven by fear as well, of course. It can be driven by the fear of missing out, it can be driven by the fear of of not uh, getting the right experience. So you think, oh, I'm not gonna get the right experience. All right, well, I'll just live carefree. I'll do whatever I want. I'll go for it. I'll go crazy. Hey! For believers, for Christians who live like that, what we often see is, is just an utter abuse of the grace that God has saved them by. To just say, hey, I can do what I want. You know, yeah, God saved me. Yeah, I love Jesus. But, but you know, God saved me for life. So I'm going to live life. And, and this book right here, you know, this is kind of helpful because it tells me a little bit about Jesus and it has lots of nice things to say about love in it. But, but some of that rules and regulation stuff, no, that's just the old-fashioned stuff. We don't need to worry about that. That's just for people a few years ago. We don't need to worry about that now. All we need to worry about now when we read the Bible is the stuff about love. That's the only thing that matters in the Bible is the stuff about love. So really, I say, Jesus, I love you. I know you love me. Great way. I can go and live my life and do what I... Because when you live recklessly, you will have the same outcome. You will slip and you will trip and you will fall and you will plummet and it will not end well for you because we were created to neither live in fear, clinging to the mountainside on our way through this journey, causing ourselves harm, never experiencing the joy that is to be found in the adventure, in the journey. It's a dangerous journey, but it's still joy to be found. We don't need to be fearful about it. But equally on the flip side, people living so recklessly, so carefree, so dismissive of the framework, the guide by which God has blessed us with uh, to know what full life is. And I'll come back to that because I don't believe the Bible is simply a, a guidebook. I think that's to woefully misunderstand what the Bible is. But there is an element by which God presents for us a framework through which we understand what life is, how to live life. And when we just cast that out, it's irrelevant, it doesn't matter. We get way too carefree, way too reckless. And too often in the world, we see people living in fear and, and causing all sorts of chaos and destruction as they do so and really missing out on the fullness of life that God has for them. But we also see people living thoroughly recklessly, thoroughly recklessly, and reaping all kinds of destruction upon the world. The, the tragedy is, uh, in so many ways, is that the church is not exempt from this, and we in the church uh, struggle with the same things. We live in fear. We have Christ, the King, by our side, residing in our lives, taking up residence to dwell within us, to empower us to be the people that he created us to be, to make us victorious or sharing in his victory by his death and resurrection. To walk with us every single day of our lives, to empower us to overcome any obstacle, anything that could get in the way of his glorious purpose. And yet we live in fear and shame a lot of the time. You know, that's where a lot of our fear comes from. It comes from shame. We're ashamed that we're not the people that we're supposed to be. We're ashamed that we have disobeyed God or we're conversely ashamed of the gospel itself, which is the greatest tragedy of all, to be ashamed of that very thing that makes your life possible in the first place. We see many, many people in the church who live recklessly, as I've already talked about, who live with wild abandonment, who basically just do whatever they want to do, who pay no mind to the kind of life that God actually is calling us to live who say, ah, oh, we don't need to worry about what this teaches anymore. All we need to take from it is its core concept, its core concept of love. But I'm here to tell you something very important today that I hope you agree with me on, and it's this. 
if you take one thing away from this and say that it is not true, you take everything away. It's gone. It's done. Forget about it. Game over. Unfortunately, we have developed a very Frankenstein approach to the Word of God. We take a little bit from here and a little bit from there. We put those bits together because we like it, but we get rid of them. We cut out a few other bits. And then we'll wander over to another ideology and another worldview. We kind of like it because it's contemporary and it culturally matches up to our heritage and our understanding. And we take a little bit of that and we start imposing that upon this glorious gift that God has given us. And we start saying, no, 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 the, the Bible didn't really mean that. The Bible isn't really trying to teach us that. What the Bible is actually trying to tell us is this. And you know how I know that to be true? Because culturally today, this means this. So the Bible couldn't possibly mean that. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. Hang on. When did the Bible start becoming malleable? When did the Bible start becoming uh, something that we, we, we pick and choose how we want to engage with it and how we want to use it? What's remarkable is that the Bible itself talks about this as being a curse to the church. The Bible itself talks about this as being the way to death, in fact. As soon as you abandon what the Holy Word of God says, as soon as you start thinking, you know what, God, I kind of like what you've written in your Bible, but I've got a few notes that I want to make. As soon as you start doing that, guess what? All bets are off. I was part of a Bible study group some years ago, and uh, there was a beautiful lady in that, in that group who I had an awful lot of time for. She's a lovely lady. And uh, we, we, we journeyed um, together as a group for a little while. Um, but she had some very curious ideas about, about faith and about the Bible in particular. And I remember getting a little bit frustrated at one point after we'd been studying together, and I ended up having to just... I just felt like I needed to call her out on it. So I said, I said look... What's the deal with your approach to scripture? Because it seems like every time we talk about truth, every time we talk about what the Bible teaches, every time we try to to expound from scripture and find meaning, your position is always contrary. Always. You're a contrarian to to the max. Why is that? And she said, oh, sometimes it's because I'm deliberately playing devil's advocate to get the conversation going. Okay. She says, other times, though, it's because actually I just, I just think we need to try and find new meaning in these passages. So what do you mean? So we just need to find new meaning in, in these passages so they become more relevant for our lives. And she said, I actually think that you can really read it with a lot of this book. She said, I think you can read what you want to read into it and take from it what you want to take from it. And I looked at her and I said, you're absolutely right. You can. But you shouldn't. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Because you know what happens? Then uh, you find yourself in a situation where everything becomes experiential. Everything. And so what she would say, what I said to her was, I said, okay, that's fine. But how do, you, how do you get your grounding in faith? How do you get your grounding in the truth of who Jesus Christ is? And she says, well, most of it, the vast majority of my faith is just experiential. She says, I, I look at this and I, I learn some stuff. But overall, I just want to experience Jesus. And I, I looked at her and my heart broke because I thought, you have bought into a lie. You have bought into the lie that you can experience Jesus and have no understanding that is anchored in the very provision that God has given us to know him by. It's literally, and it is literally the equivalent of me walking up to somebody and then saying, hey, how do you like my car? It's awesome, right? This car is an amazing car. And I'm like, dude, you're sitting in a bowl of custard. He's like, no, no, it's, it's a bowl of custard. It's my car. I'm experiencing this as a car. 
It doesn't make any sense. Literally what you're saying to me is insanity. It doesn't make sense that no part of what you're saying has any logical sense to it whatsoever. The experience that you're having is nothing like a car. And then what do you mean? A car is where you sit in a big bowl and you slosh around. That's what a car is. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that a car is a, a, a mechanical vehicle that, that drives you from one place to the other. And then, no, 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 that's a very limited view of what a car is. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll tell you what, you can hold your view of what a car is. In the meantime, I'm going to go for a drive, right? Because at the end of the day, you can make anything be what you want it to be. You can change what this says. You can, you can manipulate it. You can read into it. You can read between the lines. You can do whatever you want. My desire is simple. Lord, I want to know what you wrote this for. I want to know what this says, and I want to apply it to my life. In James, he says something very important. He says, do not simply read the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You cannot do what it says if you don't read it. And you cannot do what it says if you read it but dismiss it as being, ah, I just, I'll make my own meaning out of it and I'll, because you'll do what you say. I'm not interested in doing what Ben says. Oh, unfortunately, I am at times. That's part of the problem, right? I, my heart's desire is I want to do what this says. God instruct me, help me, guide me. Second Timothy is one of the most remarkable um, uh, epistles in, in the New Testament for, for many reasons, um, not least because the circumstances in which it's getting written are very powerful. Paul finds himself in prison in Rome, and uh, this is not nice prison, this is not nice house arrest, uh, this is not kind of a, getting to roam around a, a prison island or anything like that. This is like dungeon type prison. This is the worst kind of prison you could find yourself in. And not only are his current circumstances awful, uh, his, uh, his immediate next steps are, are pretty bad too. Why? Because he's about to die. He knows that his days are numbers. He knows that the prison that he finds himself in is the last accommodation that he will experience before he is martyred and taken to his death. And so what uh, Paul does here in Second Timothy is he reaches out to his beloved follower, to his beloved uh, companion, Timothy, and say, hey, Timothy, my days are numbered. I've run the race. I have run the race with great conviction, and I'm finishing my race. But you, you're going to carry on. So I need to give you some instructions. I need to encourage you. I need to help you. I need to support you on your journey. And he begins to write this incredible uh, letter that is full of emotion and passion and conviction. And if we were to sum up 2 Timothy in two words, it would be these. Stand firm. That's how we would sum up the book of 2 Timothy. Stand firm is the message that Paul is desperately trying for Timothy to receive and understand. And we don't have time to read the whole thing, obviously, but I'll just give you a quick overview. Uh, through, through the first chapter... Uh, Paul really is, is uh, reasserting to Timothy what the gospel is and basically saying we ought to keep our conviction of the gospel. We must not be ashamed, Timothy, of the gospel. Stand firm. You've not been given a spirit of timidity. You've been given the spirit of God, which is a spirit of confidence, i.e. don't be clinging against the rocks going, ah, I'm terrified, I'm terrified. That's not living with the spirit of God in your life. That's living in rejection of the spirit of God. Stand firm. 
trusting in God. Let the Spirit of God bring you to life. Now, actually, we have very good reason to believe, and I haven't got time to go through all of the biblical material on this, but we have very good reason to believe that Timothy was probably a bit of an introvert. If you're comfortable doing this, please put your hand up and tell me you're an introvert. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended, but go for it. Go. Who's an introvert here? I know it's difficult for you to do this, but uh, good, 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 good. Hey, you know what, guys? I, I, I'm probably um, a, a little bit in the middle uh, of being slightly introverted, slightly extroverted. So I can slightly identify with the introverts in the room. But here's the thing. Um, if you are introverted, you, you don't get a free pass just because you feel naturally a little bit more inclined to be quieter and a bit more maybe thoughtful or, or less kind of, hey, a little bit like that. You don't get a free pass to not be bold and confident in the gospel. Every uh, sign points to the fact that Timothy himself was probably quite introverted, probably quite shy, probably quite timid naturally in his spirit. And yet, Paul is basically coming along here and he's saying, hey, Timothy, guess what? You are about to enter into a new season of responsibility, my friend. You're about to head into a new realm that you have not experienced before and you're going to need to be bolder you're going to need to be stronger you're going to need to have more conviction you're going to need to stand tall on the promises of the gospel if there is any fear in you if there is any shame in you you're going to come unstuck so do not stand timid you may naturally be introverted that's totally cool you don't suddenly need to become away but you do need to be utterly convicted and immovable on the truth of the gospel Nothing will shake you, nothing will move you, because nothing less than that will do if we want to see the world get transformed and saved. We must not be uh, ashamed. Join with me, Paul says, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. This is in verses 8 and 9. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this gospel, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering. And he goes on to explain um, the, the, the call, really, of every believer when they receive the gospel to stand firm, whether we're extrovert, whether we're introvert, whether we're naturally confident or whether we're naturally timid. The Spirit of God will make you who you were supposed to be. And God will take care of that. The question is, will you open yourself up to the Spirit and let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do? He then goes on to basically talk about, in uh, chapter 2, talking about defending the gospel and basically saying, we've got to stand firm against false teachers. We've got to stand firm against those people who would come along and say, hey, that doesn't really mean that. There's salvation by another way. You have to understand, when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, actually the gospel for the first time, Christianity is on a slightly wobbly footing. Christianity has grown exponentially. It's an explosion of Christian belief. But Emperor Nero comes along and he's, uh, he doesn't really understand what Christianity is. And he goes on a bit of a campaign to, to try and wipe it out. These religious sects, these religious groups. And uh, in Asia Minor, there's all sorts of problems with how the gospel is being communicated. And false teachers, false prophets coming in. For the first time since the explosion of the church, the church is on very shaky, wobbly ground. I think we are in a time where the church is in shaky, rocky, wobbly ground. Many people would look at the church today and they would say, I think the church is thriving. It is true. It is true that the church is probably growing today as fast, if not faster, than it has ever grown before. Certainly in certain parts of the world. Isn't it interesting that in Syria, the church is growing faster than it's ever grown before. China, the church is growing where there's some uh, decent level of persecution. The church is growing. Why then do I say that I think the church is on wobbly ground? Here's why I think the church is on wobbly ground. Because we have largely, in so many situations, started to renegotiate on this and even in some cases abandon this. 
do what we want with this. I'm going to go even further, and I, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I, I really believe that I need to use language as stark as this. We treat this like a prostitute. We do. Because we come to this without any relationship, and we try to get what we want from it. That's what we do with this. No more. No more. That's why the church is on wobbly ground. That's why we're not seeing more fruitfulness in our communities. That's why our own lives so often are in disarray. Now, I don't say this to, to, to shame you or condemn you or anything like that, because uh, trust me, my own walk and my own journey with Jesus has, uh, has many, many interesting turns and, and, and challenges at times. And my own uh, faithfulness to this book at times is, is, is not good enough. It's not. And I have to pull myself aside and I have to, 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 to um, sober myself up and say, Ben, what are you living for? What, what, do you, what do you really want to believe about Jesus? Do you want to just believe that, that you can basically make your faith up as you go along and, and just uh, access God when, when it's convenient for you or when you need some help? Or, so, or do you want to treat this uh, in the same way that Jesus talks about it, which is as the bread of life? That we do not live by bread, by nourishment of earthly food. We live by the nourishment of this. Some of you will know, where's, where's James? Where's James? Jimbo? There he is. So Jimbo and I have started going to the gym together. And, um, you know, I'm showing him a few things. And uh, he, uh, we started going to the gym together. Because I need to get fit. Because I started playing concerts and getting 10 minutes into concerts and feeling like I'm, I'm going to pass out as I'm really unfit. So I was like, James, help me get into shape. And part of helping me get into shape is... Talking about what I eat, right? It's an obvious analogy, but you get where I'm going with it. Talking about the kind of food that I put into my body. If I don't eat the right things before I go to the gym, after I leave the gym, uh, two things can happen. One, I can feel really ill for a start, undernourished and sick. And, and, but second of all, the training that I put in, the effort that I put in, it doesn't actually really do an awful lot because I haven't filled my body with the right fuel for the training to then pay off. This right here is everything that we need. Let me make something clear. We don't worship this. This isn't God. We worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this is the way by which we understand who he is. This is how we understand what the call to worship is. This is how we understand what worship is. This is how we understand what salvation is. This is how we understand everything. If you start abandoning this, you have nothing. Nothing. And this is really what Paul is saying to Timothy. And he says these words in chapter 3 that I think are very timely for our age. Listen to these. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I read these words and I look at our world and that worries me because I see, I see it playing out. Here's something scarier. I look out my window into my community and, and it scares me because I see these things playing out. Here's something even scarier. I look into my own household. No offense, James. And I see these things playing out and most scary of all, I look into my own heart at times and I see these things playing out. And what we need to do is we need to look at these things and we need to recognize them for what they are. And we need to allow the word of God to read us, in fact. As the writer of Hebrews says that the, the, the word of God is uh, living and active, sharper than a, a double-edged sword. Uh, that it ultimately, it, it essentially reads us. It, it, it corrects us. It writes us. It, it, it helps us to understand who we are. It helps us to understand our, our wrongs, our errors, how we've erred. But it doesn't leave us in a place of despair and brokenness. Why? Because 
because this is the handbook of salvation. This is the handbook of life. Sometimes people refer to this as uh, Bible. They use that terrible acronym, uh, uh, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? No, dreadful, terrible. Never say that ever again. That's the last time that will ever be said, uh, the message, I hope. Uh, Because it's terrible. This is not basic instructions before leaving earth. This is life. This is how we understand what life is. This is how we understand what freedom is. This is how we understand what hope is, what joy is. This is how we understand our compulsion to bow the knee before the king of the universe and go into the world for his glory and his power and his strength and see the world not living. Hey, recklessly, I can do whatever I want. Splat, not living. I'm terrified. I don't know what this life is all about. I don't know what to do. If I slip, I'm going to fall and I'm going to die. And we can take this glorious gospel that we find only here. And we can say, no, there's a better way. There's hope, there's freedom, there's truth, there's love. How do I know this? Because I've experienced it, but also because it has been told to me. Actions are ambiguous. I can do something nice for Dan and he come up with a thousand different reasons why I've done it. Unless I explain to him, Dan, I did that for you because, and then of course he has to decide whether to believe what I've told him or not, that's true. But but I've done what I need to do, which is articulate and explain. God has done what he needs to do. God will never act and then not explain what he has done. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it takes some time. Sometimes the reason why we don't understand what God is doing is because we don't have our head in this. Like, God, why are you not speaking to me? God, I haven't heard from you. God, I don't understand what's going on. God, and I'm like, have you, when was the last time you read the word? You know? Sometimes people say, oh no, I'm reading it every single day. And I'm like, okay, great. Keep going. God will reveal himself. God will reveal his truth. Persevere. Run the race. Just as Paul talks about. Run the race. Keep going. Because at the end of this same chapter where Paul talks about these challenging things that the world is facing, he says for this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. This is verse 14 onwards. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's an interesting thing. The Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Hang on a second. I thought that the Bible taught that salvation is just going, oh yeah, Jesus, I I believe in you. And And then I'm saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is this. Put your trust in Jesus and you will be saved. What does it mean to put your trust in Jesus? It means to live your whole life for him, daily growing in maturity. How do you mature in God? You submit to his spirit and you read his word, which is helpful to us. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We, we, have to, we have to hold on with everything that we have to the integrity and the priority of the Holy Word of God, of the Scripture of God, for two primary reasons. First of all, because we will not grow in maturity as followers of Jesus if we do not spend time in His Holy Word, leaning on it, understanding it. People say, oh, your faith should be a heart thing. You're right, it should be a heart thing. But what's the most important commandment that Jesus drops out on us? He says, love the Lord your God with what? Well, your heart, but what else? We don't talk about that one very often. 
Jesus, in the same sentence that he talks about loving God with your heart, he says, love the Lord your God with my... There are some people in Christian circles, I don't understand this, who seem to think that, that intel, intelligence and intellect and understanding and knowledge are somehow evil or wrong. Oh, no, 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 you're getting caught up in academia. You're getting caught up in, in thinking too much about you. Just experiencing it. And I'm like, Jesus didn't tell me to do that. Jesus told me to understand God as best as I can to grow in knowledge so that I can love him better. But the only way that I'm going to grow in knowledge and understanding of God is if I submit to his holy word. Don't get me wrong, friends. This book is challenging in so many ways. It's difficult in some places. It's dry in some places. It is um, hard to, to figure out the implications for what it's saying in the time that it was written for our culture today. It does not mean that we abandon it and begin to impart our own understanding on it. It means that we more deeply press into its challenges and say, God, help us understand that which we do not understand. Because if we lose this, we lose it all. Because the second I throw this in the bin, I have to throw the cross in the bin with it. Because I may experience the cross, but unless I can actually understand what the cross is, it doesn't mean anything. You made it up. It's as made up as any other story, Harry Potter or anything else. But this is not made up. This is the hope for the world. So I have a simple question for you, which is, are you reading this? Are you engaging with it? Are you prioritizing this? Are you giving this everything you've got? Because we're about to start on a new season through into September. New academic year, new financial year, all of these different things. My friends, do not live your life clinging to the rocks. I'm terrified. I'm terrified I'm going to slip. If I don't bring that amount of money into the message, I'll slip. If I, if I don't get out in front of enough young people and preach the gospel to them, I'll slip. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Targets are important. It's good. We have strategy. We have things that we're working towards. But do not live in fear. Trust God. And if you want to know how trustworthy God is, there's a place where we can read about every promise that's ever been kept. Every faithful act. In that same book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, God says, uh, uh, Paul says, um, even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful because he cannot change who he is. God is faithful. Trust. Don't need to cling to the rocks. Read this. Be encouraged. Be inspired. Be empowered to live down the, the journey, the mountainside that he has for you. Equally, not, hey, I do whatever I want. Hey really matter no 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 you're gonna come unstuck you're gonna hurt yourself you're gonna hurt other people this is not a straight jacket this is a chain breaker so many people are the bible the rules and regulations gonna hem me in and i have to live a very tight life he's like no 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 no. this is the sledgehammer by which chains are broken and sets you free not so that you can go away i do whatever i want it's for freedom we've been set free not to be burned by a yoke of slavery not to fall into the same traps that we fell into before we became faithful followers but actually that we would know the way the truth and the life and the way by which we worship God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with your words, your provision by which we can know you. God, we repent actually of the times when we have prostituted your word. We've tried to engage with it on our own terms, with divorced of relationship, just go and, and, and get what we want from it. When we do that with our relation, our prayer life as well, Lord, we do that with, and we, we repent of that. We say, no, Lord, please help us to live in relationship with you in a way that will first and foremost impact our own walk, that will glorify you. God, you do not desire to condemn, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a promise that I know because it is written in your word. 
So help me to read your word, to digest it, to think about it. But ultimately, Lord, help me to not rely on my own powers of interpretation. Help me to rely on your spirit's leading to truly understand, because that's my heart's desire, to understand what you've written so that we may be a transformed people to bring transformation to this topsy-turvy world. Help us to go in your power. Thank you for your gospel. We are not ashamed of it. We will stand firm upon it. Your word is useful to us, and we commit to centralizing it in our lives. Not out of religious duty, but because we're hungry. And without it, we'll starve. So feed us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 